now we go to uh, the referendum guru himself, the man described by the BBC as the world's leading expert on referendums, Matt Vortrup, who's visiting Professor of Constitutional Law uh, at ANU at the moment uh, and edited the book Referendums All Around the World. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you very much. You're too kind in your description. <laughs> now, Matt, you've written that the low success rate of Australian referendums uh, is down to several factors which are impossible to separate out. But having said that, um, I want you to do the impossible. Can you separate out what the factors were that were decisive in last night's result? Yes, the main, main factors that were decisive uh, is that in re in referendums in Australia are very difficult to pass for two reasons. First of all, constitutional referendums require... Uh, bipartisan support. It has to be an issue that both sides of politics agree on because you're talking about the rules mm. of the game. So you think that's the, yeah. I mean, that, that the full-time takeaway from this now, that basically you're, not, you're never going to get a referendum up unless you've got bipartisan support? Um, statistically, and I think in Australia, there's been one referendum, I think, in 1946 or something like that. Mm. And, and, uh, and apart from that, you know, now... Uh, you know, you don't really do that. But that's right and proper. It's the same thing in Ireland and in Switzerland and in Denmark and all these other places we look at. You pass referendums and constitutional changes when everyone agrees. And then if you don't get it through the first time, you have to knock the things off that are unpopular. That's what happened when Australia was established. New South Wales voted no to joining Federation. Uh, and then there was a second referendum, uh, which people tend to forget about. Um, and then, you know, it, it became more sort of palatable. So I think Peter Dotton, before the referendum, said that he was happy to have a referendum just on recognition. So, so maybe that has to be the thing that you know the the, the feet that are put to the fire there. Um, when I lived in Canada, we used to talk about not referendums but neverendums, uh, because you sort of like have to sort of uh, you know get it right uh, if you get it wrong, uh, and you need to sort of make it in Ireland and in, in Denmark, for example, I've already used. Uh, they've had rejections of referendums, and then they try to find a thing that you can actually get people to rally mm. around. Um, you've had the same in Kenya, if you want to be so slightly more exotic about it. So so, um, so referendums can pass, but you need to make sure that the thing on offer is the thing that people want. Now, people will often say yes to an abstract question. It's a bit like, do you want a new car? Yes, I want a new car. But then if, if you're showing me the sort of the second second-hand uh, vehicle that you think I should, should ride in as a may, maybe not, I want a Tesla or, 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 a, or a Porsche or something like that. So people, um, so abstract things are are, are, um, uh, are easy to, to, uh, to support, mm. but not necessarily, um, that, you know, that's sort of, in a nutshell, that's it. But I, I don't think the issue is necessarily dead. It's, it's just a question of, of getting it right and, uh, and getting bipartisanship is, is important. Um, politics is also about solving problems. Indeed. Matt, last time we spoke, I think you said that history also tells us that the implications of, a, of an adverse result from a, for a Labor government in power in its first term historically aren't that bad. Is that the case? That is the case. I mean, if, I think Fisher way back a hundred over a hundred years ago lost referendums. Hughes lost referendums. On the other side of policy, Menzies lost a bruising referendum in 1951 in banning the Communist Party. Went on to win several elections. And um, and and if we take Bob Hawke, who's arguably Australia's most um, successful prime minister in terms of election results, he lost altogether six referendums. And I think what was interesting last night was that the prime minister was saying, "Well, there are no." Uh, 
uh, yes voters, no, no voters, they're only Australians. So he's already starting to, to, to sort of close the gap. Whereas I think the leader of the opposition then said, oh, well, he was, he was, uh, he, you know, sort of com- continues to campaign. And I think that's the problem that if you want a referendum, you think, oh, I'm onto a winner. And Winning a referendum, which is relatively easy to do in Australia because you just have to, to not have bipartisan support, can often sort of uh, give sort of a bit of false hope to the opposition, which indeed happened, um, well, in, in the 80s, for example, where Labour won a number of things. So, so the problem, the temptation for an opposition is to continue to campaign. And the thing about a government is that you campaign in, uh, in poetry and you govern in prose. And they continue to talk in, in sort of, you know, the poetry language of campaigning, whereas the government is has got the prerogative of getting on with the job. Mm. And therefore, they look like the ones that are sort of capable and adults in the room and so on. So so typically, um, a referendum results also creates an element within the government of we really need to get our act together because people have sent us a signal that they're not necessarily happy with that. That's interesting. We're speaking with Associate Professor Matt Quatrup about the referendum uh, result. And Matt, uh, your model for predicting referendum outcomes famously got the uh, the British vote on Brexit right and uh, I don't know how much of a chance you've had to go through the entrails of the stats this morning but how did your model go in terms of predicting the specifics of last night's outcome? Uh, well, you almost asked me to sort of flatter myself a little bit. So a year ago I published an article which was published even in the in the Canberra Times where I said this referendum was going to be lost by, by uh Forty-two percent would only vote yes for it, plus minus two percent. So I uh, maybe I should start betting because I would have at least uh, gotten that right. But I'm not that sort of person, really. But uh, so, um, and I think what what I was saying, just on a, on a serious note, was what I was saying a year ago was that you need bipartisan support, and you always have an, an uphill struggle in order to win a referendum because you have compulsory voting, which is not so good for the yes side in a referendum. So so apart from me sort of being, being full of myself and my, my statistical prowess, uh, it's also a serious point. Generally speaking, referendums follow a very simple pattern that makes it possible to almost predict the result. And if you then go in and correct those things, you can win referendums. So so mm. I dare say if, if only somebody had picked up the phone and asked me, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not a political consultant. I'm, I'm not sure how much appetite there is for referendums in uh, the major parties after last night's result. But Matt no, Quattrup, no, no, it's always not, been no. great. Yeah, it's great speaking with you and thank you so much for joining us once again uh, early on a Sunday morning on Sunday Extra. That was Matt Quattrup, a visiting professor of constitutional law at ANU. And Matt's the editor of the book Referendums Around the World and has been described broadly as the world's leading experts on referendums. And by the way, Matt's preferred plural for referenda is referendums. So that's the one we went with. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.